your blood alcohol content. How did you get camo Jordans? They make them. Is it not a word? Dude, it is to a word. You harking back. You harking back. No, you do not. I was useless. Wait, hold on. Delonica? I'm hurting, man. Are you puking? You just bust out a Sargento? We're a uh, Tillamook family. What's the proper technique to milk the teat? If they are competing for state championships, they ain't paying for their blizzards. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Marty Smith Podcast here at Outsider. I'm Marty. He's Wesley. Travis is on board. Easter was awesome. Tons of family in town. Lainey's parents are here. Her sisters are here. All their little rugrats running around. And the holidays are extra special when you got little ones running around. Uh, excited to, to find the eggs that we hid that they decorated. I got, I got to uh, listen. I got, I got, Uh-oh. I got to What's going on? This. Check this What's out. What's happening? There is a device. All right. When I was, when I was little and we, uh, and we dyed the eggs, right, so that the Easter Bunny could come get them and do all the Easter Bunny stuff. There was this wire device that was shaped in a hexagonal, hex, hexagonal, hexagonal, octagonal. I don't know. Maybe it's eight sides. Nah, that uh, thing's a hex. I think it's a hex too. A hexagonal, stagonal formation. And you held the egg in the hexagonal formation, and you dipped it in the food coloring. And that was pretty much the extent of your effort. Not anymore. These days, what do they my, do now? my nephews showed up with some gadget, and it was like a scary-as-hell Easter Bunny-looking thing. And it had, a, it had a motor in it, and it had like a twisty um, conveyor belt-looking uh, rotation device. And you can put the egg in it oblong, and what it is it like spins, virtual reality? It spins the egg for you, so that all you have to do is take the marker or the paint marker, and place it on the egg, and it creates perfectly, wow, like perfectly parallel lines around your egg. So, so there's this one. If you, and yeah, then, if you're I mean, only look at this guy. Look at this. Look you're at this. Looks like a planet. A show. Yeah. It looks like a planet. For those of you listening on Apple or uh, what What else is there? Spotify, wherever else we are. Spotify. I mean, these eggs YouTube. are beautifully ornate with perfectly parallel lines, multicolored. They're absolutely phenomenal. Now, I shared that with you. Did you make one? I did not make one because I didn't want to take over the exercise. I wanted the kids to have the experience. That's good, Daddy. Now, Mia, my 12-year-old, soon to be 13-year-old, is... Extremely artistic. She has awesome, awesome imagination. She writes a lot. She reads voraciously. She can read. She she gets bored because she doesn't have any new books to read, and she's already read every Harry Potter book five times a piece. She tears through those things like a pack of locusts. Well, she decided to do seasonal Easter eggs. Look at this. Look how we're make that in oh. a machine. Oh my it. gosh! I just dropped it. But I got is it hard boiled? It is hard boiled. Hallelujah! Praise Ooh. the Lord. It is hard boiled. Uh, that might Mia be the only... about to uh, oh. cancel this show, dude. I was in line at the store over the weekend, Saturday night, and I saw this family cart stacked to the gills. Dad comes up out of nowhere. He has in his hand three packets of Peeps, slams them down like a winning hand at Vegas. 
<laughs> and says, these are from me. These are from me, Jack. Were they pink? Were they all yellow? Did he? He had, he had purples, yellows, pinks. His family was just a, <laughs> appalled. If you get the whole Roy G. Biv of the peep world, then you have definitely hit the lottery. And another thing that I love about Easter, which I also love about Thanksgiving and Christmas, is the leftover sandwich. Oh, yeah. That, that is provided with great bounty by the holiday dinner feast, all right? So on Easter, we do a ham. Everybody does a ham on Easter, mm -hmm. right? My mother-in-law uh, cooked this ham for us, and I just I couldn't wait for this bad boy right here, the leftover ham sandwich. So what do you it's, have on there? Oh, you got some uh, Virginia baked honey ham. You got some white American cheese, and you have enough yellow mustard to drown, and that's it. That's the whole sandwich, and it is phenomenal. Now, if you're getting really aggressive, you can maybe put a little extra salt on it. But Okay. Yeah, I had more of like a lunch bowl. You know they have a breakfast bowl where you can yeah. put your scramble in it. My bowl today just turned into a mix of green beans, some sort of potato casserole dish with cheese in it, ham, and I skipped out on the dinner roll. And for some reason... My wife forgot to grab the deviled eggs for me, so I'm a little oh, upset man. about that. But other than that, the bowl was great, and it's probably the only one I'm going to eat. Otherwise, I'm going to end up uh, uh, in an ambulance. Leaving out the deviled eggs isn't a bad thing. That's that's a victory. What are you talking about, man? Deviled eggs they're, are uh, they're not southern good. delicacy. Come on, Travis. Tell us what your Yankee leftover Easter meal looks like. Well, Travis lives in Nashville now, and they have over there at the uh, at the Pancake House, that Pancake Restaurant. What's it called, Travis? I forget. It's like some super fancy pants, well-known breakfast joint in Nashville. And on their menu, they have uh, fancy deviled eggs that you can that you can order for like an appetizer for your breakfast. Hmm. If you want to get a scotched egg, fine. But a dev deviled eggs are... Scotched? What the hell is a scotched egg? You... It's not a hard boil. It's like a soft boil. Then you take some your sausage or some kind of meat, you wrap it, and then you deep fry it. Wow. I thought... I didn't realize they did that up there. I went to Austria uh, several years ago for the Special Olympics World Games to cover the World Games for ESPN and... I stayed in an Austrian hotel, and every single morning they bring you one of those eggs like that. It, it's soft inside. It's like hard-boiled on the outside or something, but it's soft inside, and Poached. there's a hole in the top. It's like a really elaborate deal. How about Reese's eggs? Well, they're the goat. I mean, it, there's no, there is no equal in the candy world. Nothing compares to the Reese's Cup egg. Um, Wesley came packing heat. I like that. Everyone needs to make sure that they have proper ammunition. Wesley does today. Uh, I mean, am I, I'm not wrong. The Reese egg is on. I mean, the Reese Christmas tree is a nice addition. Of course, the OG Reese cup is the OG Reese cup. Uh, and there's the big cup. Big cup is like a real big deal, but the egg is the one. It almost seems like an accident. Because it's just in that shape of an egg. It's aerodynamic. They didn't really have to do anything to it. I imagine on the assembly line, they just shoot that thing out there, and it's ready to go. And it's got the best ratio of chocolate to peanut butter 
of That's all it. of the eggs that the Reese's family, of all the Reese's cups that, that the Reese's family makes. What I want to know, and I've pondered this for some time, is what does Reese's do to their peanut butter? Because, uh, I mean, there, there are various genres of peanut butter, and my favorite is Skippy, uh, Skippy Natural. Now, it has a lot of sugar in it, I admit. But Reese's peanut butter is a different, it, it's a different thing altogether. It's a dessert. I mean, all of it is a dessert. I wonder if they put, like, confectionery sugar in their peanut butter. What do you think? I don't know. I made a mistake last year because I, I looked at the peanut butter and in my mind, my sugar mind, said, well, it's probably somewhat good for me because there's protein in it. And I ate a Reese's egg for breakfast every day until I ran out after Easter. And that was uh, a very poor dietary choice by me. So this year I'm trying to have a little bit more discipline because um, there is a lot of sugar in it. And it's probably not, it's probably about one gram of protein not really getting me where I need to go. I eat a lot of peanut butter. It's uh, one of my vices. I want to discuss a couple things that happened in NASCAR this week that, man, that race at Bristol was crazy. Um, the, way it, the way it unfolded, certainly the way it ended. I mean, if you guys didn't see it, you should go back and try to watch the replay. It was nuts. Tyler Reddick drives for Richard Childress. He drives the number eight car for Richard Childress Racing. Tremendously talented young man absolute wheel man and has been up front a lot i mean it's he's 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 always kind of lurking it seems and at many different types of racetracks and then you have chase briscoe who has uh, now drives tony stewart's number 14 car got his first win very recently and so those two are battling over the last few laps of the race for this victory and, and reddick has the lead and he's doing his best to maintain the lead doing his best not to worry about what briscoe's doing behind him maintain his line run his line and see where it all how it all transpires meanwhile briscoe is driving with his hair on fire doing his very best to find lines that can allow him to make up ground he was really really good in one and two he was not as good in three and four, but as the race made its way towards its conclusion, he figured three and four out much better. And he was closing and closing and closing and closing on Reddick to the point where in the final quarter, he bombed it and went for it, trying to win a race and spun them both out. And out of nowhere, half a straightaway back, more than that, probably a whole cornerback, was Kyle Busch who came out of nowhere in the 18 car to win at Bristol for the ninth time in his career. That's unbelievable. And to earn a dirt race victory, I, I give them all credit, man. That thing came a long way from last year. I think they did a phenomenal job. And congratulations to Kyle. But, man, if I, all you have to do is see Richard Childress's face after that race, just utter disgust. Just utter disgust that they built a race car capable of winning, that Tyler drove 499 laps in a fashion that could earn a victory for that organization, and then Chase going for it. Now, I give Chase a ton of credit. He got out of his race car, and he marched his butt right down to Tyler's race car, and he said, I'm sorry, dude, I wrecked us both. I was going for a win. And Tyler, being a racer, totally got it. 
He's like, I get, I ain't happy about it, but I get it. And uh, I think ultimately um, NASCAR won because it was a really thrilling finish. Uh, Daryl Waltrip back in the booth was really cool uh, for Fox Sports, for NASCAR. Clint did a really good job as always, and Mike Joy is just awesome. So it was a really good experience for the viewer from my perspective. What, what did y'all think? I mean, I felt like that end looked like a scene out of Mad Max. It was incredible. Like, if you want to watch someone win on a dirt track, that's how you want to see it go down. Obviously not for uh, the guys that spun out and lost, but Kyle Busch was just there. Said, hey, y'all can't do it. I'll take it. And you're right about how far they came from last year. I remember the photos of the track cracking up and, you know, just the cars not being able to handle it and not being ready for it. And now we've, since then, seen the race at the Coliseum, which we've talked a ton about being a huge win for people that don't watch a lot of NASCAR and for people that do watch NASCAR. And now this one, uh, they've turned it around, man. I mean, it, it, going back to the fact that Kyle Busch has now won nine times at Bristol Motor Speedway, I mean, it's it's such a remarkable accomplishment and an historic accomplishment. His career is amazing. He's still really young. He has done it all. Um, he's a multiple-time Cup Series champion. He is a dad now, and I think it's so cool. Look, I've covered Kyle since he came into the – since he was 16 when he came into the Truck Series and did some races for Roush Racing way back in the day because his brother Kurt was driving for Roush. And both of those guys were just young and aggressive and and were just racing with their hair on fire all the time, and they became very, very polarizing competitors. And they'll be the first to tell you that. And with age, it's been fun to watch both of those guys make their paths to where they are currently. They're both champions of the Cup Series um, Kurt won the Daytona 500, I think, in 2017, I want to say, driving for Tony Stewart in the 41 car. Um, I had that great moment this year at Daytona when Kurt took me around the race car in the Toyota Pace car. Of course, Kurt now drives for Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin uh, at 2311 Racing. And he took me around the racetrack, and I just – I really enjoy both of those guys. I do. Uh, watching Kyle as a dad – and, and watching him mentor his little boy on all, in all these dirt races that his little boy's racing, uh, it's really fun to watch. And his little boy has that same competitive desire that Kyle has. So it'll be fun to continue to watch his son grow and develop as a racer. And it's fun for me to watch Kyle grow and develop as a person, as a man. Uh, and the same goes for Kurt, for that matter. So awesome job by, by Kyle making sure he was there at the end when it mattered and taking advantage of those two guys having misfortune. And to going back to, 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 to Chase Briscoe walking down pit road and looking Tyler right in the eye, it wasn't no damn text message, I'm sorry. It wasn't a phone call. It was, I'm going to walk down there, and I'm going to tell that man face-to-face, -face, I dumped us both, and it sucks. And I'm sorry, and I want you to know I'm sorry. I mean, there's, there's a lot for NASCAR to be celebrating right now, in my opinion. I, I think the sport just has such great momentum. Um, and they're heading to Talladega, which is my favorite place on the tour. 
it's just as authentically NASCAR as there is. You go to Talladega Boulevard in your motorhome or your RV or your fifth wheel, and you park that thing on Talladega Boulevard, and you have all kinds out there. You'll be partying all weekend long next to some defense lawyer on one side and a neurosurgeon on the other side, and all they want to do is sling beers and cornhole bags and watch racing. And it's just an amazing time. Uh, Think about this. There's been 10 races this year, not one repeat winner yet. Yeah, Briscoe's close. I mean, and that parody parody is really good. And, I mean, I think I said on here, I forget where I said it. I might have said it on Marty and McGee. Forgive me, a lot of things run together when you're old like me. But I I figured that Denny Hamlin would have a like he he was nowhere like he had been nowhere, and I I said he's gonna win like he will win, and I think it's I think when you when you're talking about superstars in the sport, you want to have when you get to the ch- I still call it the chase when you get to the NASCAR playoff, you want to have your Chase Elliotts, your Kevin Harvicks, your Kyle Bushes, your Kurt Bushes, like the guys that really pin the needle. And not right now, we have all of these young dudes who are, you know, winning and succeeding and running up front. You got Austin Sendrick winning the Daytona 500. You got Chase Briscoe winning at Phoenix, Arizona. You got these young dudes who are making noise. And I think that's also beneficial for the sport. It's kind of like the NCAA tournament. You want some upsets early on, and then you want your big names to come through at the end. Yeah, you definitely want your St. Peter's, which how about three of those dudes transfer? I guess their coach left, right? Yeah. Their coach went to Seton Hall, so I can see why they'd leave. Uh, Junior's going to be in the booth at Dega. Yeah, how about that, man? How How about NBC letting Dale Jr. be in the booth for Fox at Talladega? Wow, how about that? What do you think about that? I think that NASCAR just gets what they're doing right now. Their production, every decision they're making and allowing and the things that are happening within it, I think there's a momentum just based on our conversations at Daytona that there is like a unity of whatever is best for the sport is good with us. So I don't know what went into those conversations in the boardrooms, but I'm happy to hear it. Here's I'm I'm guessing that on the back end of the season, Boyer or something like that is going to be in the booth with NBC because NBC letting Dale go to Fox, those ratings are going to be insane. You know, it's Talladega anyways, plus Dale. So I'm guessing NBC is going to get a make good on the back end too because that's the bigger story is just the two networks getting together like that. It, it's, it really is a hell of a statement. It's, it's a hell of a statement on – I mean, look, everybody wins, really. Everybody wins in this decision. The sport most certainly wins. Dale Jr. is the most important, strongest voice in the garage and has been for years and years. And in this moment where there is so much upward momentum for the sport, I mean, he is the king of Talladega. He won six times there. And Brad Zager, who is the uh, Fox Sports president, of production and operation and the executive producer of the broadcast said Dale joining us in the booth says so much about his love for the sport of NASCAR and there's absolutely absolutely no one more equipped to call a race at Talladega we appreciate he's willing to share his time and experience for the upcoming Fox NASCAR race on one of NASCAR's most popular venues 
And we are grateful to NBC Sports for letting Dale spend his time with us. I mean, it's uh, it, I mean, like Marty, that is similar uh, to how uh, ESPN and CBS kind of have a wink, wink, nod, nod during the Masters in Talladega. It is and it's not. I mean, it is and it's not. Now, if if NBC was broadcasting the Xfinity race and it, like. I see what you're saying. Like it was, I'll tell you, one of the wildest moments of my whole career was being at the PGA Championship last May, getting ready to interview Phil Mickelson after the Friday round uh, and Jim Nance throwing down to me. I mean, I, was, I about puked all over myself. I couldn't believe I would. it. I mean, I couldn't, I could not believe I mean, I was grinning my ass. I, I was, Phil Mickelson had those humongous bug eye sunglasses on. And while we're in the middle – so I'm interviewing Phil. He's playing really well. And, I, like, all of a sudden the production uh, staff uh, comes in my ear and goes, Marty, uh, I forget who it was, guys. I'm sorry. There was uh, one of the golfers double bogeyed 18 or double bogeyed 17. I forget the context. But the, the point is Phil Mickelson took the lead. And they tell me that real time live on the air. And I get to go, uh, Phil, I just want you to know – that uh, you are the leader of the PGA Championship. What are your thoughts? Like right there live on air, and that's when he said famously in my mind, uh, I'll see you on Sunday. And, if you know, if that's still the case on Sunday, we'll have another conversation. Of course, he went on to become the oldest yeah. major champion ever uh, by winning the PGA Championship at the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island. It's amazing that NBC and Fox have decided if Dale Jr. wants to do this, Let's let's do it because Wes, you said it's so great for the sport. I mean, it's great to have him doing the race, and I know he's giddy about it. I mean, he's been a he. You got to remember, uh, Mike Joy called his father's Daytona 500 victory in 1998. So it's pretty cool that Junior will be in that booth with Mike and Clint, and Mike and and, and Junior and Clint are super good buddies. So it'll be fun. That broadcast will be fun as hell. I know that. Mike is amazing because, you know, they put him sometimes with two uh, analysts in there and his ability to call what's out there, but then let the drivers, the analysts, do their random tangents and talk. Like he is just brilliant at what he does. Insanely talented man. Um, Just just muscle memory. One of the things that that I – I was just actually talking to Jordan Spieth about this. And this is way inside baseball – this is admitting things maybe I shouldn't, but I'm standing there at the par three at the Masters, and this storm is coming in, and, and they've decided to call the par three contest a little bit early. So he's standing on the putting green with his, his wife and his little boy, and I've just interviewed Rory, who his little girl was running around and, and, and chatted with Rory. And I run over and I asked Jordan, I'm like, hey, man, I know, I know you're hopping. Could I just get you real quick before we get off air here? And he's like, sure. And so Sean McDonough and, um, and Curtis Strange and our, our group are going through their thoughts on the action that's being played and finished up right that moment. And I turned to Jordan and I was like, hey, bro, this is embarrassing, but you won the 2015 Masters, right? Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, 2015. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm doing it load of sports right now and i'm just doing my best to keep it together and he started laughing his ass off he was like didn't i just see you with coach k <laughs> so anyway Sean standing McDonough. there standing there chatting with him about that but it's the truth like like when you do a sport full time all the time 
like when I did NASCAR for 17 years, you build this muscle memory, not only about what's going on in the moment, because Mike is a meticulous preparer of fact, but also he has a cachet of history seared into his mind that he can pull at any moment, any time, and you never have to question its accuracy. And that is an invaluable resource to Fox Sports that he has that. And to NASCAR fans like us. Hey, uh, speaking of Jordan Spieth getting the win uh, at Hilton Head, last two wins now, including this one, have been on Easter Sunday. And you know what is on Easter Sunday next year? Is it the Masters? It is. Well, And also, the last two PGA events have been won by Hook'em. Mm-hmm. Mm. They yeah, do say uh, I've learned. Uh, Texas Spieth, is definitely back. Texas is back. <laughs> Until the fall comes around and they lose in football. Texas is back, yeah. I mean, if I'm Steve Sarkeesian, I'm recruiting those boys to go out on the road with me. Do you see what Scotty Scheffler said about his green jacket and washing the dishes? That was hilarious. Yeah. I Not think it was Golf say. Digest. He told – they were asking him about his green jacket, and he's like, my wife is – you know, Meredith is over here telling me, like, it's time to wash the dishes. And he says he just go puts on his green jacket and goes, is it? <laughs> what is the chore, Marty, that you're so bad at? Speaking of the Scotty Scheffler getting off the hook for the dishes, is there a chore that you're so bad at that you are no longer allowed to do it? Well, it's not that I'm so bad at. It's just that I don't – so I, I will do anything. I will do anything in the home. But Lanester handles the laundry. Lanester is the laundry goddess. She handles the laundry. I'll do anything else. I'll do any and everything else. Whatever. Dishes, vacuuming. I don't care. I'll do it all. But Mama handles the laundry. And God bless her. Y'all, I don't know where the hell the clothes come from. We have piles, mounds. We have, I mean, it's insane how much laundry she has to do. My 16-year-old son. Now, I don't I don't know how I don't even See, know how he has this That's many not laundry. That is toxic it waste. Is. It is. And it's gross. And he stinks. But God bless Lane. She does all I, uh, What's yours? What 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 are you bad at, Wesley? It's laundry and and I've stepped up. I do my own now, so I at least kind of meet her halfway. But she watched the uh whatever that Netflix documentary is where they show you how to fold your clothes the right way and be a minimalist and all this stuff. Yeah. I've not seen that. Brittany watched that. It was game <laughs> over. Cause I can't fold the towels the right way. They go into little triangles. Like you're folding the American flag, I think is how you're supposed to do it. And that's how you're supposed to put your towels away. I don't know. See, I don't know. And that's probably why I'm no longer allowed to touch them, but that's, that's it for me too is the laundry. So I'm not complaining. I, I handle mine and stay out of her way. I have to do all my chores, but as a kid, I attempted to mow the lawn, but the lines weren't straight enough for my dad, so he just stopped telling me to mow the yard. That leads me right into something that has to be discussed that I have forgotten about, and I forgot to mention a week ago. Travis has such overwhelming obsessive-compulsive disorder. It is something to behold. I, had, no. I did not know this. He and I have been friends for, I don't know, damn near 10 years now, I bet. When did we meet? Like 14, maybe? Something like that? Uh, 15, 15, I don't know. 16. Been a while. Anyway, known each other a while. 
I can't describe to y'all how many times, whether it was how I drive my truck, I have my, it's pouring rain in Augusta National, and he is ma- all over me like a duck on a June bug because I got my windshield wipers on. What are you doing, no, no, Travis? No. Are you, no, your backseat driving? Here's, no, oh, here's big time. Is it was pouring, and so the right. wipers were going super fast, and then it like stopped to a drizzle, but he still has his wipers going a million miles a second. It's just not. Yeah turn it down and like but every time that i brought something up you know what he said you sound just like laney so I, i'll take that as a compliment well uh, uh travis and texted your laney room too you had you had like coffee cups all over his room travis texted laney that i was uh losing my mind about his mouth and the windshield wipers and laney goes oh lord he's triggered <laughs> she wasn't wrong i did tell travis to S-T-H-U. Uh, um, we had wanted to have the guys from Midland on for some time, and in fact, we tried it way back, I think, during the pandemic, and my internet decided it didn't want to work. And fortunately, Travis made enough fun of me that I got new internet, and it works swimmingly. Uh, it is much better. I don't have all that weird garbled, what do my kids call it, laggy? My kids call it laggy. We don't have that. Uh, Damn kids, they don't even know what dial-up is. <laughs> no, they do not. They don't know what dial-up is. I try to explain to them that when I was a kid, we uh, our idea of of a wireless phone was cordless. Uh, being able to yeah cordless yeah well we didn't when I I'm so much older than you two clowns that we had the long if you if you got the super long cord that you could bring into your bedroom, dude, you have made it in life. And were you? Were you old enough to have the party line? Are you too young for that one? What is that, like that is. politics? Okay, like my no, like my dad, like they had this like part. It was called like a party line. I forget exactly what it was, but you're too young for that one. But do you remember when like you had the wireless, but if you le- left it off the charger, mm-hmm. then it didn't work, and it was like oh, a yeah. catastrophe. Yeah, I got pissed off real bad because I was in. Uh, we went to I think it was the SEC basketball tournament in Tampa, and I all I wanted to do was get room service and go to bed. And my damn phone was dead in the room. They didn't have a corded phone. It was a cordless phone. And I I could tell when I grabbed the phone that it was joggled off of the stand. So how about when the cordless had the button at like the home dock where you could hit it and and it would go. It was like a siren, (laughs) like a European ambulance siren somewhere in your house. (laughs) But now if you lose your iPhone you have to buy an Apple Watch to hit that button. So in some ways, we're just recreating technology we already had, and in some cases, it was a lot better. Because that button... But could- Wes, Wes, does your wife lose her phone Oh, day, yes, yes. And she... Uh, I'm like her phone wrangler. I wanted to do one of those like dollar-in-the-jar things where anytime she said the sentence, I can't find my phone, she had to put a dollar in. But it... Now she just doesn't say it. She's just silent about it. She just goes hunting. I know what she's looking for. And if you did, the grocery bill would be handled for the week rapidly. Yeah, Lainey. So, I mean, it blows my mind. It's four or five times a day. She's like, Martin, have you seen my phone? No, I have not seen your phone. I do not. And actually, my sisters-in-law were here for Easter last week, and they had this whole conversation about this, how guys have it made because we just put ours in our pocket. We just take it and slide it right in the front pocket. And they're like, we don't have pockets. 
We wear we wear yoga pants. They ain't got no pockets in the front. I think they do make some fancy pants yoga pants that have like the po- side pocket though, mm-hmm. right? That's the new thing now with like uh, women's attire, but also just uh, athletic wear. There's like within the pocket is a phone pocket, so your phone doesn't like bounce around yeah. when you run and stuff. Travis, are you about to give us a full breakdown of what's in? Uh, with women's clothing, because yeah, you know me. Like that's something you've studied. Travis fashion is a and workout. Those are my my two areas of expertise. Uh, that's all. I all know. right. Well, all the way back to Midland. Uh, it was awesome to spend time with those guys uh, again. They have a brand new record coming out, The Last Resort. Greetings from May sixth, and we actually did this interview. What fellas, maybe three weeks ago, maybe a month ago, something I, like that. So it's been it's been more. I think more than a month actually. We uh, we are excited to get. We wanted to save it. We wanted to hold it until closer to when their record was coming out, so you guys were ready. And a week out is probably is it a week out or two weeks out? Maybe it's about two weeks out now. Yeah, so, about two weeks out. Y'all make sure you get on that. Y'all gonna love this. Those dudes are funny. We appreciated it. appreciated their time. Uh, I've mastered the English language. Here's Midland on the Marty Smith podcast. It is awesome to welcome uh, two of the three members of Midland. Jess is sick today, so he's not here, but Mark and Cameron are. And, fellas, I'm hungover from two nights ago, so we're going to start with alcohol. How? Yeah, man, it was a rough. I'm 46 (laughs) years old, boys. It's a hell of a challenge to get back to right when you really get on one. That's rough. Yeah, it gets – the mountain gets steeper and steeper. Yes. Two-day hangover. I'm in the middle of the therapy session now. I've, uh, Marty just needs some advice. How, how, do, how you do y'all manage this when you have a two-day hangover? Oh, dude, it's the worst. In fact, you have to really plan your life around a two-day hangover. You know, if you know you're going to have a two-day hangover, you know there's an event coming up on your calendar that's going to require you to engage enough drinking to deal with a two-day hangover then you 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 have to make sure that everything after that day the two days afterwards requires very little participation in the way of work no question fathering (laughs) children or husbandry Yes. yes um and if you can avoid i'm looking at your tour dates now and you have two weeks between las vegas and winter haven california so i think i understand where you're coming from there at those dates too but the problem is the first night in vegas is saturday and we have to be there till tuesday morning so yeah i'm already thinking about sunday and monday as potential uh crisis management like kind of scenarios there, you know. These dudes have a show Saturday night. They're playing the NASCAR race Sunday and the ACMs Monday, right, fellas? That is a gauntlet in Vegas. Yeah, it's a gauntlet. Man, that's just like that's just like a Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday for us. That's, that's the well, we're out. literally a Tuesday, Wednesday. We, we always got our our feet dangling out of the copter, living on the edge here. By the way, to to me, whenever I get a two day hangover, that's uh, that's when I walk it back. When I get the two-day hangover now being a dad, that's when I know that I'm like, okay, I just I just came right to the to the edge of the cliff. I looked over it, and now it's time to back down, and uh, you know, drink a couple more seltzers in between. So, I was really intrigued that y'all got yeah. in. Y'all are in the liquor business. How did y'all end up in the tequila business? We are. Uh, 
I mean, for me personally, I was born in the alcohol business. I was my family owns a bar, a little honky tonk that I was born and raised in. So I was around it my whole life, and I grew up right on the Mexican border of Arizona. Um, and the mezcal tequila culture was just a part of uh, of my upbringing. When Cameron and I met each other, um, I think we bonded over our love of tequila as well as Jesse because we were searching for something that would kind of burn clean, something that you could have in the studio, something you could have in the road and drink on a regular basis and not have those crazy two-day uh, white-knuckle um, hangovers. And what we found is that, you know, tequila, the agave, is, uh, it, it burns a little different than the rest of the alcohol. And so we set out to, to create a super premium, high quality, uh, traditionally distilled and made tequila that would uh, burn bright in the night and set us down easy uh, when it's time to go to bed and wake up the next day and have bright heads. So... That's kind of what it, it started off as. Plus, we were drinking so much um, Herradura at the time. We looked at each other and we said, if we could just capture the money we're spending on Herradura, <laughs> we could be rich. <laughs> what What makes a good agave when you're looking at a at a plant? Can you look at one and be like, yeah, that's a winner. That that one's gonna. Cameron can. He's like a, Cameron's like an agave. Um, what would you call yeah. it? Whisperer? Like a, like a witcher. Where yeah, you I'm can like find a agave diviner. Cameron can find the good agave. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I can't tell yeah. you what it is because if I did, then you'd start your own tequila company. I well, that's that, I'm, I'm taking notes and we. Thomas Rhett. I'm putting agave in my garden. Yeah, well, there's imposters out there, dude. You know, there's people starting okay. tequila companies now because it's in vogue. So don't be those people, Marty and Wes. You know, Damn basically, it. it's already done. Like the sale, <laughs> if you're thinking about starting a tequila company, don't find another spirit. Uh, the market is maxed out. Insolito is going to dominate. Um, what else can I say? I mean, it's cutthroat out there. Just drink it. Wes, you, what you were asking what makes a good agave um, is, uh, is a happy agave. You know, something that's grown in the wild. Um, that is in the right climates. You know, Jalisco is, is where our agaves are grown uh, near Mazamitla. It's a blend of lowland and highland agaves. But what makes a tequila, what differentiates something like Insolito that uh, is traditionally cooked, the piñas themselves, you have to cook them and press the juice and then you distill them. Um, the trick is to have a purity along the way and not to be adding impurities. Um, most tequila companies to speed up the process of distillation and to cut on cost, they will not use premium materials. Um, for instance, uh, in the casks that they age the tequila in, um, in order to get flavors and to get a flavor profile the way that you know they deem is um, is palpable uh, for. Uh, for their audience, they'll add a bunch of additives. And that's the sh that's the that gives you a hangover. And you'll see that in the majority of air quotations, uh, super premium tequilas. And most of them are made in tequila factories alongside um, numerous, uh, numerous uh, brands and labels. 
where they're essentially kind of taking the same juice and then just adding a bunch of different additives to make it their own flavor profile. But nothing about it is traditional. Nothing about it is reverential to to the mescaleros and to the uh, the beautiful magical process of uh, of making mezcal, which is tequila from the blue agave. How so? I've noticed in, we'll get into videos in a minute because I'm interested in the fact that Cameron directs these things and namely your latest one, which is funny as hell. I want to know how many punches it took, fake punches. I want to know where the hell you got that Bronco. I want the whole thing. But I want, how does, how does having this tequila accentuate your brand? I mean, it sounds like a passion project. Obviously, you don't want to lose your ass on it. But how are you using it as artists? The, the, the brand are Insolito. Yeah. How are we using? I mean, we're we're drinking it, like out of the gates. <laughs> I mean, that's how we're using it practically. Um, I mean, you you really just have to think about. Uh, I mean, it's no different than somebody starting a cowboy hat company or something like that if they were in country music or. You know, you use your platform to bring awareness to the product, you know? I mean, this is all very, you know, like art and commerce and kind of boring, I imagine, but... I mean, Not to me. That's why I asked oh, it. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, like, how would you... Uh, if you were selling a guitar, you know, and you had, like, what you thought was the best guitar and you were a musician... You're going to use that guitar on stage. You're going to talk about it as much as you can, as long as it's relevant to the conversation and and kind of integrate it into your world in a way that doesn't seem phony or forced, you know, and, and luckily that is as fluid for us tequila as, as maybe a guitar would be. I mean, maybe not as important to the creation process, but certainly part of our, you know, couple times a, a week lifestyle not every single day as we've been trying to maintain a certain level of sobriety <laughs> after COVID. But I think that there's a way to use it. I'm not going to use the word medicinal because I think that that's a bridge too far. Mark would probably, but it's dangerous. Um, I think it's definitely something that could be used as a, um, a, uh, you know, communal way of, of, you know, having a <laughs> sharing an experience with your buddies or just going on an overnight drunk by yourself, you know, either way. Yeah. So, there. I mean, people, people are drinking Insolito listening to your song and maybe they hear a little bit, something, something extra. They hear, they hear something different it's because us. they know <laughs> they feel like they're part of the I wouldn't crew. That right. Maybe, I guess you're trying to sell that kind of thing, but you're also, maybe, I don't, you know, we, we, we hope that the tequila stands for itself. So it could live without Mid Midland and, and there's really no mention of Midland yeah. on the bottle or in the packaging. It's about the Herrera. The bottle looks sweet, Thank you. by the way. Thank you. We designed the bottle. You know, we worked with the Herrera brothers who really are the stars of this, this tequila. You know, they're the ones that distill it. They're the ones with the generational understanding of, of how to make it um, tasty you know, and, and not give you that two day hangover. And it's distilled in the highest distillery of tequila in the world. And I think the altitude does have something to do with the way that it tastes and the way that it's, um, that it's concocted, distilled, brewed. Um, so, but 
like I think Mark and I and Jess always really wanted to do for, was it to transcend the Midland thing, you know, and and it just kind of stand on its own. But yeah, I guess it's it it doesn't hurt if you've got the new album, The Last Resort, coming out on May sixth with a bottle of Insolito, and you drop the needle on that sucker, and you've got a you know a glass of Reposado on the rocks as you're enjoying our 11 song LP. You, I, you know, was that forced? Or was That's that the medicinal quality. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. That was a good job. Thanks. So, excellent integration. Marty, can I can I add something to that? Because uh, I, I think that Cameron, Jess, and I are all creators. That's what we do. You know, from the songwriting to to being in the studio and producing it to uh, recreating it. Um, on a nightly basis live and you talk about like the music videos is kind of your next question you talk about the documentary that we have on CMT that exists on their uh, CMT YouTube channels the Sonic Ranch um, you know you talk about uh, the the films that uh, the Cameron is writing and getting ready to direct or um, something that uh, that I'm acting in or Jess is creative directing for HBRC all of us are creators and we're not interested in doing something that is subpar everything that we're seeking we're looking to do it at the highest level and i, I think in salito works for us as artists because it's another extension of this brand and extension of the the circle of creation that we're doing so when it touch when it touches your lips and you taste that quality and you understand that it's beyond us just trying to slap our name on a bottle you realize that we we created this tequila from the ground up um, from the bottles, from the marketing, from the concept um, to collaborating with the Herrera Brothers. So I just think it's an extension of, of what we do, and we're not interested in half-assing anything. Well, I love it. And I'm, it, the, the reason that I asked... Except for on the day after a two-day <laughs> hangover. The reason that I asked and, and that I, I have that level of intrigue, Cam, is because I'm very interested in doing something, too. Oh, yeah. And have been approached about doing something too. And you guys have walked the line. So I'm just, I'm trying my best to learn. Like one of the questions that I had, which you guys have already answered is, what have you learned about the industry and the, and the process that you didn't expect or know? And you've answered that for me. But we, we can shift gears now to, uh, you know, directing and the music video and whatnot. Let's start with the Bronco. That's Billy Bush's. Bronco. Where did the Bronco come from? Billy Bush. Who's is it? TV personality Billy Bush, a good friend of yep. ours. And uh, oh, okay, yep. Extra, uh, extra. You know, uh, I, you know, I guess. What can you say about Billy Bush? We have only nice things to say about the man. Uh, he lent us this Bronco. It's his Bronco. It's been his project. He had it restored. He spent I what I believe to be a significant amount of money. On, uh, on it looks like yeah, it. it's like not there's not a single stitch that hasn't been um uh replaced and Condoga. yeah right and uh we were really fortunate to have borrowed it last minute however um there <laughs> and you probably can't even really tell because it happened so fast but the way that the shot happens where you really see the Bronco at the end, you know, Mark is driving the Bronco and he slams the brakes. So Jess and I can hop into the Bronco and then make our escape. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a, uh, a, a physical 
recreation of the grade of 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 the sure. the road that this Bronco is on that I'm driving on outside of this house up in the Hollywood Hills. Okay, let me let me set it on the camera. And I, this is not an exaggeration. It's about that. Yeah, it was about that steep. Okay. It, it was seriously it was about that steep, like going almost like down. Was Billy Bush present? Was he okay with this? Hold on, check this out. No, no. And this was also, this is also like midnight. Yes, it's midnight. We've been there all day. The hill is so steep. And there had been a little insulino. It's a solid 45-degree angle, Mark. The steep, the hill is so steep that when <laughs> yeah, I drove that, to it's, the shoe, yeah, look at that. I was legitimately worried to park it on this hill. You know, like I had to put the parking brake on. Right. We, you know, pointed the tor the tires towards the inside of the of the of the hill, so that if it did in fact lose its brakes, it wouldn't just you know go careening off the side of the mountain into somebody's house. It's the Hollywood Hills, so Mark slamming on the brakes. We get maybe four shots. We're already into overtime at this point, so it's kind of just. The neighbor is already threatening to call the cops. He's pissed. Yeah, yeah. it was. And so it's... we leave, and we hop on a flight that, with you know, three hours after the shoot is done, and and we have a gig on the East Coast, and uh, one of our managers, name is Jordy, has volunteered to take the Bronco back to Billy Bush, uh, you know, with a bouquet of flowers and a thank you. And if you're familiar with Los Angeles, we were up in the Hollywood Hills, and in order to get to Bush's house, you have to drive on Mulholland. Mulholland Drive is um, it's a two-lane highway that weaves through the mountains of Los Angeles. And he's driving it back the next day, and you know there's tons of hills, there's tons of uh, inclines and declines, and he comes to a red light, hits the brakes, and the pedal goes to the floor essentially. Oh my God. So he's now in a runaway vehicle that doesn't belong to us. 1970, maybe 72, something like 68. It's a, it's, you know, it's one of the first models of it. And this thing is, you know, basically two tons of steel going 70 miles an hour. Um, Jordy ended up safely. Thank God. The end of the story is that he, finds a an escape hatch essentially a, a, an up an, a, an uphill that he can take this thing up uh without using brakes and then pull the parking brake uh but the the poor guy needed like therapy for four days oh, after goodness. that he thought he was gonna die he said he had he didn't wet his pants but he sweat <clears throat> his shirt and his and like his underwear so you know we don't know if it was piss or not but sweat yeah Sweat. Pucker but, factor. I mean, and, pucker factor pegged. Yes, pucker factor. He could have made a diamond out of coal. But here's a testament to how great Billy Bush <laughs> is. We told him it could have been our fault. We're not really sure. And that we were happy to pay for the replacement of whatever the brake situation was. And uh, we never heard about it again. So, although we also haven't heard from Billy. That tells me that Billy Bush might have known about this before he, he gave you all the keys of the Bronco. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. He still hasn't talked to us, so we're not sure if we're on good terms or not. But he didn't send us a bill, and I think that really says a lot about Billy. Mark, I read that the Sunrise video, at least in some way, was inspired by stories your dad told you. I need, I need this. Like, uh, what, what? How, how did yeah. that inspire the video? 
Well, Cameron and I have known each other since uh, 2008. My dad is a, is a larger-than-life character, and uh, the stories that he tells are, are always gigantic. They might be uh, a little bit bigger than the truth, but every good storyteller <laughs> exaggerates slightly. But my, uh, my old man uh, is, a, uh, is a former Marine Corps uh, attack and fighter pilot um, in the U.S. Marine Corps, served in Vietnam, uh, flew, I think, about 800 or 700, 800 sorties in Vietnam, crash-landed an A-6 out at Yuma once. Um, he's got a lot of stories. Uh, so this is a little bit of blending. It's a little bit of, of my old man, I think. It's a little bit of Top Gun. Uh, it's a little bit of, of Cameron's own um, machinations and, and, uh, and mind as he wrote this and his concept. But yeah, there's definitely a little bit of nodding. Cam and Jess and I are huge Top Gun fans. And we also have a, a ton of reverence and respect for um, active and, uh, and former U.S. military um, members. So it was, a, it was a chance for us to get a, um, have some fun, relive some Top Gun fantasies, and also tip our hat and, uh, and honor the U.S. Marine Corps and all of our servicemen and women that are out there today. So we just had fun with it, man. And uh, it, was, it was a wild day. We squeezed in one day in between shows in L.A. and then had to fly to New York. Cameron was editing this thing on the bus as per usual, carrying double duty. So uh, tip of the hat and a big oorah to, uh, to Cameron for getting that thing done. But yeah, I think it turned out great. You know, it's, it's, we're storytellers, okay? None of us are, are servicemen. Um, and, uh, you know, for us, it's a way to have some fun and to drive people to listen to our new single and to watch it. You know, Sunrise tells a story. The story is about, you know, one of those wild nights that's going to lead to a two-day hangover. But instead of just a hangover, you maybe come out of it um, with the love of your life. You know, it's a retelling of, of those stories. So it's all a little bit of blend of, of the truth and, uh, you know, fantasy, which is which is what we do anyhow. It's really well done. In, in making these it is. Thank you, Dad, sharp. for us. We appreciate his service. We're... Uh, that's our whole direction, too. Uh, we're grateful for every military member, active and veterans, oh, yeah. for uh, being Any, free. Anybody brave enough to, uh, yeah, anybody that's brave enough to step up and selflessly serve this country commands uh, our respect fully. And, uh, and we do everything we can to, uh, to, try to, to try to return the favors. So. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a good time, and we're really happy with how it turned out. And, uh, you know, it's our first time going to country radio with a single for two years. Uh, can't remember what happened, but something happened. Like a, something like a pandemic or something happened. Oh, it was COVID. I was going to ask you about it. We were on a rocket ship ride. Oh, COVID, that's what it was. It's already out of my That mind. old chestnut. focusing on, uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, it was, it was really fun. It's been really fun for us to return. I mean, it stopped a, a, a train with full steam that was running down the track at 180 miles an hour. You know, for us, we, we had been uh, on a rocket ship ride. The last show we played before COVID was headlining the Houston Rodeo in front of 80,000 people. So to go from that um, on the heels of a, of a, a very critically and commercially well-received uh, second sophomore album 
you know, every, every single headlining show sold out to suddenly um, coming out of warp speed and just being jolted into this crazy reality. Not only are you, you kind of lose your, your ability to make a, a livelihood, but you lose all that momentum. And then also you're in the midst of this crazy pandemic. So yeah, it was, it was tough for us. I mean, we lost a lot of money. We lost a ton of momentum. But in a way, you know, you always, if God gives you lemons, you gotta, you gotta make margaritas. And for all your miners out there, uh, just tell your parents it's lemonade. Um, but for us, it was a necessary break because we had been burning it on both ends. I think all of us were at the very end of a very long wick that we had been burning. And it was a chance for us to return to our families and just be dads and be husbands. And uh, I think we took, maybe six weeks off and we all just, you know, with the rest of the world, we kind of just drank every night and watched uh, every single show on Netflix. Tiger King. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, we all watched that. And then I think after six weeks, you know, it was for us, it was getting back to work. We launched in Salido in the middle of the pandemic. Um, we ended up releasing an acoustic recorded album that we, recoust- uh, that we recorded remotely called Guitars, uh, Guitars, couches, etc. As a tip of the hat to Dwight Yoakam. Yeah, um, we released a documentary called "The Sonic Ranch." Then we released an album called "The Sonic Ranch" of some songs that we've been meaning to finish for uh, for six, seven years. Um, and then we started writing and working on this album called "The Last Resort." And ironically, the very first song we wrote in the midst of the pandemic, when we got back to work uh, with Shane McAnally and Josh Osborne was a song called The Last Resort. And, uh, you know, it was a bit of escapism and wanting to dive into your art to to be distracted momentarily from the chaos of, of reality. So that ended up kind of acting as the guiding light for the rest of the album. Um, so for us, it was, it, was a, it was a welcome break from the road. But strangely, I think that the pandemic when we took that time off the road was probably the busiest, um, speaking for me, I think it was the busiest I think I've ever been. And I think maybe that was our way with dealing with all of it was just to, uh, get, that we couldn't tour and play live shows, it's that we were gonna do everything we could to be ready for the moment when things kind of opened up again. And that's where we found ourselves and it's, and it's paid off because now Midland is, uh, is back on that rocket ship ride and, and this time, we're doing it with a little bit of extra gratitude, I think, once you had it um, kind of ripped away from you. The shows, they feel a little bit, a little different. I think they've always been important, but uh, now it's kind of, you've seen how, what it's like when that gets ripped away from you. And I think now, um, you know, we, we come into it with a little bit more, um, a little more gratitude maybe than we did before. Can you guys agree on what the best White Yoakum album is? Obviously your name is a hat tip to him as well it, it is yeah um, go ahead Cam what's your what's your oh, favorite man, you know, that's a good question um, I just actually recently uh, I think accidentally got into the one that he put out in the early 2000s called Three Pairs and it's got a really cool um, production on it and the dude who played guitar for the Mavericks 
and I think he's still in the band, Eddie, play guitar on that album. And it's um, it's really cool. It's like hip uh, and definitely like uh, Dwight, but mo- like more modern Dwight. I don't know. I don't know if he ever did anything quite like that again. And, and he's put out a few albums since then. But like obviously the late 80s stuff, guitars, Cadillacs, um, you know, uh, like that early 90s that he was doing um, is kind of hard to beat you know and definitely it definitely uh, influenced Midland in fact I think we really had to like make a concerted effort to not specifically try and follow such a type like prototype with, with Dwight because it was an easy reference in the very beginning you know, and something that a lot of people compared us to in the beginning. And, and we, we ended up getting a chance to open up for Dwight really early on in our career. Um, and then subsequently got to know him. And I, I really believe that there's like, it, it's kind of going back to the thing from earlier regarding in Toledo. And there's a quality control for sure. And but I don't know if many people... Um, I don't know if, I mean, there's certainly people out there that do this, but I don't know if like most people get into a, something and they go, I'm only going to do this halfway. You know, I think that they do it as best as they can, but there's a limitation to their, um, prowess in any given field. And I think because we have such a close kinship and understanding of each other and the things that we want to do, we have this really pretty incredible, like, um, energy between us and Midland and we could have gone down this authentic, very Bakersfield sounding thing. And it was very close to happening. You know, we, we did write a bunch like that. Um, But I think over time we found our own voice and something that had like a resemblance to Dwight Yoakam and something that sounded like a blend of that with the Eagles and maybe some George Strait and Merle Haggard and, um, Gary Stewart and like there's all these little um, there's all these different ingredients that go into it and you never want to do one thing but it, it comes off authentic because it's something that we care about maybe even to a comedic point you know what I mean like almost spinal tapian in a way and, and that's why <laughs> you know a lot of these things you just have to do in earnest on your own without filming it um, but it is very much Midland's DNA to like take that rock and roll Bakersfield sound thing and like do it in our own style. So I don't know. The long answer is, is that they're all great. And the short answer is Mark was talking about three pairs way before I ended up listening to it because in my mind, really just the early nineties, late eighties was like, the purest Dwight Yoakam stuff, but he ends up doing a lot of it after that. That's really great and worth listening to. A couple more and we'll let you guys run. We've kept you. Uh, why did fair to Midland inspire your band name? Um, that was, uh, you know, that's a, that's a track from population me. Uh, and I do believe that was the last time that Pete Anderson, the great Pete Anderson and Dwight Yoakam worked together. 
um, as, uh, as co-producers. Um, that was just, it was on heavy rotation. I think we were all listening to that a lot. And when we were out at this place called the Sonic Ranch out in West Texas, um, which is kind of, I guess, our sacred home. It's where we first got together, uh, Jess, Cam, and I. At the time, Cam and I were both living out in uh, in in L.A. Um, I was at the beginning of Malibu, and Cam was up in uh, in the mountains of Topanga in the Santa Monica Mountains. And you know, we had come back from Cameron's wedding up in Jackson Hole. And, and by the way, just to give it a little bit of a pretext, Cam, Jess, and I all met in L.A. Um, Cam and Jess before I did, you know, in in the early aughts, and they were playing in rock and roll, Americana um, bands. That, and I used to go see them. And when Jess left town and broke up, Cameron and I uh, kind of picked up the pieces uh, of that band and started a project a project together as well and did that for years. So there was a long running uh, history of, of playing music live and writing and recording together. We had been collaborators for a long time and kind of had given up on it for one reason or another. And at Cameron's wedding was the first time that Jess, Cam, and I ever got together. And uh, there's actually footage of of us playing at, at uh, Cam's mother-in-law's cabin overlooking the Tetons. And um, and I think we were doing uh, uh, Ain't Living Long Like This by Waylon Jennings, you know, and everybody's awesome. got like a, a pot or a pan, somebody's, you know, a couple guitars, and everybody's just ding, ding, dinging. Some people are, that are, aren't musicians DJ. there aren't in time. It's pretty funny. Um, it was DJ, uh, Cameron's uh, uh, brother-in-law. And, uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing came about really, really kind of authentically and very, uh, it was really purely. It was, it was a pure um, impetus, a pure uh, catalyst. It was just about the music. And it was about, there was a joy when the three of us played together and, Jess had said, hey, man, you know, maybe we should try and do something at Cameron's wedding. And that was really the, that was what, that was the first time that the match was kind of struck and there was a little bit of a light. And then Cameron being the kind of, uh, you know, organizer and producer of things, um, you know, Cam kind of took that, that match and led it to some kindling wood and, and organized the three of us going out and chasing some of these songs that, um, most of the most of the songs are Jess's. I'd written a couple, and then we we're you know writing some stuff there together, and that was at the Sonic Ranch. But at the time, you had Jess living in Austin, Texas, and you had Cam and I in L.A. And I was listening to this Population Me Dwight, o Dwight Yoakam album, and you know when I needed some time to myself, I'd go out and we'd go and smoke a joint and drink some whiskey. I'm sorry, drink some tequila. We we're drinking Eric Dur at the time. Um, and uh, have a beer and just kind of sit out there and talk. And it dawned on me that we were geographically almost exactly in the middle point between Austin, Texas and California. And here was this idea in my head of these three guys coming together kind of in the middle. And we had been battling right from the get-go. There was tension creatively between the three of us because the three of us are all songwriters and all producers and Everybody has a really strong idea, and essentially, it's kind of like three lead singers being in a band together, you know, three band leaders in a band together. So there was that tension, and we had to find a way to come to like a middle point, middle ground. And we realized really quickly 
it kind of fortified us how to collaborate. And the idea of being called Midland was, was more than just a tip of the hat to Dwight Yoakam. It was kind of a, a philosophical tip of the hat to, um, I guess, a, uh, an, an anchor point, an anchor philosophy for this band in order to kind of survive and to thrive. You know, we always had to, to meet each other in the middle. And, uh, and that's why we wanted to live in this, this midland, you know, the middle ground was like this place where nothing else mattered but the music. So that's the long answer. Dude, the short answer what an is amazing love answer. Fair to Midland. <laughs> I love nah. it. I, I love the, I love the spirituality of the answer because it's just so much more. Then hey, well, these, here's this these tip. edibles that I ate this morning are really <laughs> they're kicking in, baby. Is that yeah. is that is that gonna come in like a combo pack with Insolito and then you get this nice little gummy yeah, bear no, pack with it? That's the thing. It's like well, we actually were approached not long ago about doing something like that. But the 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 <laughs> this is the real answer, Marty, is that like whatever you would end up doing, just know that it's gonna take way more time. It's going to take up much more time than yeah. you ever thought it would to do in a meaningful way. So you really have to start looking at things in terms of how much bandwidth do you have to commit something full tilt, you know? Zero. <laughs> right. there it is. That's, the <laughs> That's the answer. Marty, if I find out that you and Jimmy Johnson are starting a, uh, a yeah, rival tequila, I'm going to be pissed. You know, yeah, that's. I'm actually doing a lot of recon yeah, right. right now. I'm gonna take all this information back to Johnson because he's funding the whole damn project. I I hear. I hear yeah, he's I hear a great man. Wide open, dude. Yeah, I, it's so diluted. I mean, oh my god, it's so diluted. Everybody's got a whiskey all of a sudden. It's, it's geez, boys, calm down. Tequila, you know, no. it came before. There was a mad rush to get into that. We we just got lucky that we happened to start talking about this three or four years ago before the whiskey or before the tequila craze happened. I mean, we knew that we, that we were on the right track well, when the rock actually was, six, six years yeah, ago, Kim, six years ago. I mean, it's been a long time. 2016. Yeah. Wow. The time has flown by. It took that long to just get every, all of our ducks in a row and f find the right, the, the, you know, the right partners in this whole thing design the bottle and all that. Y'all are making me feel real damn good about my upcoming project. I appreciate the votes of confidence. I have no time, no money. I don't want to put a lot of effort in. I'm screwed. Uh, <laughs> hey, grateful for you guys, man. Love your work, love your spirit, and appreciate your time. I know it's fleeting and it's precious, so thank you for giving us a lot yeah, of it. Thank you all. Us, all. All right, so I – Let's let's discuss the fact that they love D. White Yoakam as much as they love D. White Yoakam and that he was such a catalyst in their path. When Dale Earnhardt Jr. got inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame back in January, his wife Amy Earnhardt threw a surprise party for him. Actually, I don't think it was a surprise party. I made that up. The party was a surprise. The concert was a surprise. Yeah, that's right. Threw a party for him down at the Fillmore downtown Charlotte here. A bunch of us went down to this party and bunch of us rented this big party bus and made our way to uh, the Fillmore downtown. And we're having a blast, having a great time. Well, what like five of us knew and Dale Jr. did not know is that Dwight Yoakam, I mean, maybe his favorite artist ever, certainly one of his top artists ever, 
was there to surprise him with a show. And Dale did not know this until D. White walked onto the stage. And that was the coolest thing ever. Like, I love Fast As You. Let's go back to Uncle Rico Marty, that guy right back there in that picture behind me. Um, you like that high point? You like that, Wes? <laughs> send that to Kirby Smart, son. Send that, send that to Kirby Smart. You could be Is a weatherman with that on point. the ground? Actually, no. Uh, it's funny. Let me get this picture. Maybe I'm as fast as you. This is actually very funny. Okay, so I'm trying to do it where the light does. Okay, look. So those of you watching on the YouTube machine, you can see that I am intercepting this pass against the Narrows Green Wave. Let me repeat that. The Narrows Green Wave. That's our crosstown rivals. And the way our football field was shaped in Parisburg, it's actually like it's not flat. Our football field at my high school is not flat. There's like the, a natural dome in the curve. middle, right? Yes. It is convex, as they say in the skateboarding world. Uh, it is convex. And as a result of that, the, the photographer from our local newspaper, the Virginian Leader, who captured the shot is on the sideline. So he's much lower than I am intercepting the pass on the field. So it looks like I have this insanely high vertical leap while I'm intercepting, high-pointing this ball. That is not the case at all. I might be four inches off the ground. Maybe Just some four. trickery. You got that Phil Mickelson vertical. A lot of trickeration. <laughs> is that is uh, the is the rival the team that Shane Beamer played for? Uh, well, they were a rival too. He played for Blacksburg High School. Oh, so you're uh, like Georgia? You guys had your you just had rivals all around. We do. When you're good, that's what happens. When you're good, when you, when you're good, it's like John Calipari says to me every single shoot around. We're everybody's Super Bowl. That's just how it is when you're great. Right, Wesley? So, did my voice just crack like I was 16? I think it might have. Um, anyway, back to D-White. So, I love Fast As You, and I love 1,000 Miles From Nowhere because my senior year of high school, when we were playing for that state title, 1,000 Miles From Nowhere was the biggest song in country music. And they made our booster club or somebody – made this highlight tape on VHS uh, that that was like a state championship run <laughs> montage oh, of excellence. Great. And Redneckery called the Spartan Spectacular, I think. Anyway, uh, they totally ripped off Fast As You. Like, if Dwight knew this, he'd Well, that's the us. funny thing, though, about those at that level. They can be as creative as they want. Like, I wanted to make, after the – after the yeah, final Coffee Town video and the announcer falls in the, you know, the stadium collapses, like I wanted to do uh, Sarah McLaughlin's Arms of the Angel, like montage. <laughs> but but I knew that I, I would be the only one that could watch it because, you know, they'd sue my ass off if I put it out there. But I still might make it just so I can enjoy it. Share it with me. But you should, dude. Again, like it, Dwight Yoakam is not going to care that the Giles High School Nowhere Appalachia Booster Club used a thousand miles from nowhere to to why to why were y'all a thousand miles from nowhere that what, what? because we grew up in Parisburg son that's why because uh, we are a thousand miles that. from nowhere um well we appreciate the fellows from Midland hanging out uh, love their perspective again make sure you check out their new record comes out May sixth. I can't wait to hear it. And I'll tell you another thing about those guys, man. 
So I went to the CMT Awards, I think, one of the award shows many moons ago, maybe like 2000, 2018, somewhere around in there probably. And my buddy Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR driver, now IndyCar star, uh, was presenting. He was a presenter at the CMT Awards or the ACMs or whatever we went to. And he was a huge fan of theirs. And so we went to a party, a post-party, and they were there. And they became fast friends, and we marveled at their outfits. I know we discussed it there on the interview, but they have the coolest suits. I got to get me. Travis, I need to, get, I need to call Mark. I need them to make me one of those bedazzled rhinestone suits for the Masters. For Masters Sunday, I need to, it needs to be like green sequins or something with the flat, the, the Masters logo across the back. Yeah. Talk about right? some trademark problems. Um, you, you thought <laughs> the, yeah, it might be an issue. You thought the seersucker made a statement on Sunday this past year. You Boy, were that. that thing was polarizing. Uh, I didn't realize I, that that thing was going to be so polarizing. I do have Jordy, their, uh, the person they mentioned in there, his uh, contact information. I will reach out and see if we can work on something here. Got to do that. You hit maybe up for like the, if you went to like an F one event or the Kentucky Derby, maybe that's where you wear it at. A little more, not so buttoned up. Well, I don't know. Like, I'm not too sure that it would really work too well to wear a master's suit. Well, no, you wouldn't get a master. One. It wouldn't be a master's suit. <laughs> I mean, suit. I don't know a whole lot, but that doesn't seem. It seems uh, a little bit out of context. No, there. you could get like you get a horse. You could get a horse on it instead of like the master's logo. I'm not saying well, wear the master's true. suit I could get like else. a race car on the back of my. Yeah, especially like sequins. think about if you go down to get Miami up. in a bedazzled suit, like you'd fit right in. All right, so we got to. We should discuss this because this is something that's been on my mind. I've been thinking about calling my tailor and asking him to make me a suit for that Miami F1 extravaganza that is like pink or teal or sea mint, no. seafoam, like, you know, super South no, Beach you Miami. Do, you need to do the Miami Vice. You just need to go full, like, crew neck shirt. That's, yes. that's where you need to roll. You think I can convince McGee? Oh, to do absolutely, that too? man. Y'all would crush that. Yeah, he'd be all in. So here's another idea is have uh, them make you pants, but like capri pants. I think you look real good on those. Well, I don't know. Show, show some Travis, ankles. Travis really liked. We, there were, we, we saw some pants at the Masters that were like uh, cuffed golf pants. And Travis really mm -hmm. liked them. I mean, he really liked them, and he wants to incorporate Travis that into big his pants wardrobe. Guy. Big pants no, guy. I, no, I don't. Big I don't. They won't guy. work with me. I hate pants. But I'm thinking, like, I should have. I screwed up. Your birthday was last week. I should have just ordered you a pair and had them sent to Laney and Laney give them to you because that would have been a great gift. Well, speaking of wardrobes, uh, those of you watching on the YouTube machine, you can see that we really brought the heat today. I mean, everybody has on. I mean, Wes has on his How About Them Dogs hoodie. Mm -hmm. How many, how much of your wardrobe is comprised of the University of Georgia's logo? Uh, okay. A fair amount. I have a couple golf shirts from when I worked there in college. 50, like 50? Uh, no, no, not 50. Probably 15. 35%? No, I got a lot of shirts, man. I'm not, I'm not threadbare over here. I, I have Georgia shirts, and I have other shirts. But uh, Home Field Apparel, who I would love to collaborate with, they, uh, they sent me 
like this hoodie, four or five Georgia t-shirts before the season even started. So next year I'm going to need them to send some more because obviously it's a good tradition and things worked out for all parties involved. But yeah, um, got a big boost in the Georgia apparel there because I, I just like their style. They're pretty throwback, but good quality, you know. All right, home field apparel. You heard it yep. here first. How about them dogs? Yep, got the Jack D. What Travis. are you wearing, Travis? What is that? Is that a Lakers? You got a Macho Oh, man. oh, macho man the Macho Man. Is that yeah. from uh, – what's your bunch up there that does all the – yeah, what are they called? Homage. Homage, yes. Homage. 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 Travis loves him some – Travis sent me a homage uh, JT Barrett. t-shirt that – it has it's like JT Barrett's senior picture. That's all it is. That's it. JT Barrett's senior I, picture. I think he was like sitting like this, wasn't he? Something like that. Yeah, like Napoleon Dynamite or Step Brothers or something. So so speaking um, of the uh the Dale Jr. Dwight Yoakam night, is that the night of like the ambulance or whatever that you've never told the oh, story? The EMT story. The EMT? That is the night. I think this is our. This Can we is get our, some like the art some mystical harp music edited into this? It's like right, a throwback. We'll tell this story and then we'll get out. So again, uh, a bunch of us rented like a bus, like a big Sprinter van, ten or fifteen of us came down from Lake Norman to go to downtown Charlotte. Country comes to town. All the rednecks from the lake are making their way downtown. And Dale Jr. just happens to be sponsored by, or not sponsored by, he's a, a partner, uh, Sugarlands Distillery out in East Tennessee. They do an awesome job. They got, like, moonshines. They got all kinds of, like, super tasty drinks. They have a whiskey that I love and will knock your socks off called Roaming Man. They just have an they have awesome, awesome product. And Junior has High Rock Vodka, which is a, a super high-end pure, I don't know how many times distilled vodka that Dale Jr. and Amy are the face of. It's called High Rock, all right? So they are there, and they're just filling us full of these drinks, and we're having a blast. It's great to see these folks. Laney and I have not seen many of them for quite some time, and we go to the party, and the party is all, I mean, it's all of our friends from NASCAR, a bunch of my buddies from back in the day I hadn't seen forever, so I'm in my element. I'm on fire. We're having a ball. Party goes late. We finally leave, come back to the lake. Laney and I are the last two people that this Sprinter van drops off. Last two. Drops us off at the house. Well, I get home. We walk in the door, and Vivian, who's asleep in her room, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, 1.30 in the morning, something like that. She's asleep in the room. All the kids are asleep. And her fire uh smoke detector is doing that god awful annoying beep beep you know like every 10 seconds it makes that beep to let you know the battery's dead so i'm like man i can't handle that all night long and it's gonna wake vivi up so i better go change this thing well in my overserved state <laughs> i went to the wrong i went to the wrong house uh, detector no, okay. it was the right house. I went to the right house. I went to the wrong detector. This was maybe the uh, CO, whatever it's the called, car carbon, carbon monoxide, monoxide one or something. And so I am like messing with it. And I'm like, ah, oh, shoot, that's the wrong one. I think nothing of it. 
I open Vivi's door, and right there's her smoke detector. And there, it, it plugs in. There is a wire that plugs into the house with the smoke detector. So I unplug the wire. I change the battery. As I'm doing this, I don't have my phone with me. My phone's on the counter downstairs in the kitchen. I'm upstairs. Little do I know, it immediately called the fire department. <laughs> my home invasion system, my alarm system, calls the fire department, calls the police department. I don't know this. So here they are blowing me up. I get downstairs and I'm drunk. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like trying to turn my house alarm off. It's setting my house alarm off. So I am trying my tail off. I'm like, honey, what's our pin? I don't know the pin. So I'm like trying everything to turn. Nothing's, nothing's turning off. So Lainey doesn't have her phone on her either. Again, going back to losing it all the time. And I am just defeated. I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. So I, I'll figure it out, whatever. And y'all, I walk out of my kitchen through my living room and around towards the front door and here i see it it's like the fourth of july out there son it's like the daggum macy's day parade out there there is lights camera action buddy and down i see a light flickering down the driveway and i'm like you gotta be shitting me <laughs> i open the door the police are coming and i'm like hey fellas uh come on it's freezing cold outside i said i I've, i don't just spread them sir nothing's wrong <laughs> yeah like do you, want, do you want a drink nothing's wrong come on in and so the police come in and they're like trying to help us figure out how to turn the thing off and whatever and they're like so nothing's wrong there's nothing on fire nothing's broke no issues i'm like no nah, just uh, i've had a couple too many drinks tonight that's all there is to it and they mm -hmm. are giggling their tails off and fortunately laney being laney had a whole file of information on this alarm system <laughs> finds the pin turns it off policeman's in our bedroom trying to help her turn off the thing and ultimately we get it turned off everything's fine and i go to say thank you to the police i'm like and here's a fire truck pulling up to my house sir if you listen to the marty yeah, like, smith podcast you'll know i love <laughs> the emts <laughs> it was such did your joke. kids wake up but no my kid not not a single yeah. one of them ever woke up they never even knew it happened i think but you, you talk about mortified so i had i had three missed calls from the dispatcher laney has two laney answered the third one i think so they've called our house six times trying to figure out if our house is burning down i mean it was just a colossal mess mm. But grateful to them, and I know, I, I, I'm almost certain that they had a very good idea once I started talking, and they, they, I, I think I could see their light bulb go off like, this is that dip from yeah. ESPN. I know it. I, I could see their wheels turning like, that idiot, what an idiot. So they're probably telling all their buddies back at the spot, listen to what oh, this Oh, trust me, they is. have stories. They're still talking about it. <laughs> they got a lot of, they got a lot of them. Yep, you need, to have, my, you need uh, to have them. You need to have them out to the house and have some cold ones or something. And you know, this I, is your your makeup. I thanked them profusely because 
they got real stuff going on. I mean, like they got real things to worry about. And my <laughs> real stupidity, fires. all I did was keep them from doing what you know what they do every day and busting their tails to keep us safe. You could have been your own out. hillbilly headline. I was on the press. Oh my of god, it. that would have been amazing. Oh, that would have been the greatest. I was on the precipice of that. Um, On that note, I think that's a perfect segue to say thank you to our law enforcement officials all over the country working hard to keep us safe and thwart our safe from ourselves. Thank you to our fire and rescue, uh, all of our EMTs for your courage and bravery and thwarting our stupidity. And thank you to the United States military. We're so grateful for freedom. Y'all have an amazing week. Thank you for listening to Wes, Travis, and me on the Marty Smith Podcast at Outsider. Be well. Peace. Bingo. Very good.